0: That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time.
1: And if you love the Filet-O-Fish,
0: right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
1: Welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. Along with J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. This is another edition of our Prospect, Hand- Prospect Handbook podcast. And the Prospect Handbook Podcast is brought to you by DraftDay.com. DraftDay.com is a new concept that offers short-term or daily fantasy sports games for real money. The concept is simple. You pick the day you want to play instead of fantasy lineup. If your picks perform well that day, you win. You can play for free or real money, and they award cold, hard cash nightly to the top-performing players. They've already awarded more than $10 million, and it's completely legal to play. DraftDay.com also has a new rapid-fire game that takes one minute to play with huge payouts. Just pick between a few choices of players and choose the ones that will score the most points. It's that easy. All you need is three of five correct to double your money. Draft Day is offering a special offer to Baseball America listeners, so be sure to head to DraftDay.com and enter the promo code BA Podcast, and that'll start you off with a free instant cash bonus if you like free money head to draftday.com and use promo code BA Podcast. once again we want to thank the folks from draftday.com for sponsoring the podcast all year and jj this is one of our funner podcasts of the year because it's one of the ones that i think makes what we do at ba a little bit unique in another way is that we like to talk about our process we like to talk about our flair and we're going to talk about our process of how we chose byron buxton as our minor league player of the year we had a great announcement yesterday where Great story by Matt Eddy. And then a really fun interview with you and Byron Buxton. First of all, with Byron showing his determination. Yeah, Byron we had some
0: technical issues, and he te- te- stuck with it and worked them through.
1: Technical issues at home, and then Byron went to the library and uh, and made it work. And we really want to thank Byron Buxton uh, and the folks over at Jet Sports Management for making that possible. And I just thought it was fun to use the Google Hangout and to talk to Byron. And Byron Buxton came correct in the interview yesterday as well. That was a confident... Uh, guy who he knows that he's good he doesn't have to scream it from a mountain most high but you can just tell the confidence uh, that Byron Buxton has and that he wasn't very surprised by having a minor league player of the year caliber season
0: no and, and but at the same time though he, he made it very clear like no I, I think there's still a lot I need to work on he said right. really his offseason to-do list one of it is is to get stronger and that is, I mean, a lot of that's just going to happen by getting older. He's, yep, he's 19. He, he's 19. He'll turn 20 in December. And as he, yes. uh, he, as he fills out, uh, he's never going to be, he's never going to be, we're, we'll, I'm sure we'll get into the words Mike Trout at some point in this. He'll never be Mike Trout from the standpoint of Mike Trout at 19. You know, we were getting the Brian Erlacher and Cleeks yes. comparisons. At,
1: at 19, Mike Trout had his man neck. I don't know about if he had his man strength. He was close, but he certainly had his man neck. That's never going to be Byron Buxton.
0: Byron Buxton is always going to be a more uh, live,
1: agile, you know, it's going to be, he's always going kind to of have a smaller frame. It's just a different body, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why uh, I do think Matt Eddy and his story made a, a good point that, yeah, we're comparing the tools and all those kind of things, to trial, but physically the comparison that makes more sense really is Andrew McCutcheon. Right. He's a little bit bigger than Andrew McCutcheon, but he's certainly closer to McCutcheon physically, and I'm talking about the frame and the musculature and all those things, than he is to Trout, because Trout, again, is just a physical beast. I mean, he's like a linebacker. The,
0: the way I put it was is that if you if you had the two of them together and you put Byron Buxton in front of Mike Trout, you'd yep. see plenty of Mike Trout. I like If you sense. put Mike Trout in front of Byron Buxton, I don't know if you know that Byron was behind Mike Trout.
1: <laughs> I'm here. I'm back <laughs> yeah. here, but... I think Mike Trout's traps block he block out the sun. Right. You know, so the Chinese thought that his traps were dragons <laughs> and that ate the sun every day. Sorry, uh, but uh,
0: but um, but you know, it, it is something where it was. I felt like this was one of the most interesting and the deepest Player of the Year classes we've had. Years I remember where very it was, deep. We, there were years where we're like, you got to give it to someone. I mean. <laughs> And uh, the year I remember that with was, was the Jeff Francis year.
1: That was the toughest I was one. not
0: here for the John Roush year, which I, from everything I remember the John Roush year, the John Roush year was one of those two.
1: It was. That was uh, That was one where, in retrospect, if you could have done it over again, you would have liked to have done Roy Oswalt instead of John Roush. We chose the wrong Olympic gold medalist. But I think the guy that we wanted to choose that year was Rick Ankiel. And I forget what the flaw was in Rick Ankeel's was it case. Ines? I believe it may have been innings pitch. I believe that he also, um, yeah, he was on a pitch count. I, I, I'm going to look that up as you continue. But yeah, this but was this was one of, if not the deepest classes Cause that, that, that we've had in my tenure.
0: The way I put it is, is and let, let, we'll start by explaining something. We've explained this every year. We'll explain it again next year, I'm sure. Our minor league player of the year award is not. We do not claim in any way, shape, or form that we are awarding simply, award to the guy who had the best season in the minor leagues. If we were we doing never that, have, we never will.
1: If we were doing that, we probably would have given it to Chris Colabello. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, Chris Colabello probably had the best year of any minor league this I, year. He was up and down a little bit, so his, his counting stats are a little bit behind. Because he only played, I think, 86 games. Right. But he did qualify.
0: He qualified among leaders. 89 games. And he led all minor leagues in batting average. He led all minor leagues in slugging percentage. He led all minor leaguers in on base plus lugging, and he was fifth in on base. He had uh, George Springer had a great year, but if you, even if you give Springer some advantage for he's a, a center fielder, you know Colabello a first baseman,
1: also a corner outfielder at times.
0: Right, a corner outfielder at times, and also if you give it Springer, obviously is, is faster and all that. Right. The reality of it is, is that when you compare also the Texas League and the Pacific Coast League to the International
1: League, I think Colabello had. The best year. He had the best offensive season of anybody in the minor leagues. I think that's just clear. I but, mean, but, but that was, so that was the but best not, minor league but season. But that's not what we award. That's not our award. And it never has been. Our award, and it never will
0: be. Our award is you essentially it's a balance. Okay, it's season that you had, this 2013 season, combined with prospect status. Now, it's not... The best prospect in the game, by any stretch of the imagination. That's
1: not Byron Buxton won to be. it this year. Yes,
0: but that and he is the best prospect in the game. Well,
1: Myers won it last year, and I don't think we thought he was the best no, prospect. He, he was among the clutch of best prospects, right. but he wasn't the best prospect.
0: But the best way I can put it, is, is, as I see it, at least, is it's a sliding scale.
1: Correct. If, uh, to put it,
0: I'm trying to think of a guy. If I mean, I, I hate to say, it, I'm sorry. If Chris Colabello hit 450 this year, he wouldn't have been because he's he's a 29-year-old. Chris Colabella could not have won this award. Right. Period. That being said, if we go on a different, let's say, okay, to pull a guy out, let's say Mookie Betts, yeah, who kind of came out, you know, who is a prospect. He's, he's young. I mean, he's, not, he's young for the leagues and all that. But let's say Mookie Betts had, which he didn't, he had a very good year. But let's say that he went 400, 500, 500 this year at second base. Right. I what think t- he would have been our minor league player of the year, even though we may have thought that Mookie Betts long-term is – a solid prospect, a
1: very good prospect. That's a great question. But I think that would Mookie Betts with a one thousand OPS have been our minor league player of the year over Byron Buxton with a nine, whatever it was, OPS. you
0: know with hitting four hundred to go with it, you know, I, I think you probably would have been close. I, it would have been close. I, I really as I see it, you have to clear a certain bar to of be in prospect-ness. the of prospectness to be in the discussion. And then there's a sliding scale involved with yep. um, again, if you say if you want to make the argument you know, because really, I felt like this year, if you said, who are guys who would cross the bar as their season was minor league prospect, play, minor league player of the year worthy? Okay. Buxton, George Springer,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Javier Baez, yep. Archie Bradley, yep. C.J. Edwards. Who am I, would, I forgetting? I
1: would say Miguel Sano. Miguel Sano. Michael Franco. I would say Michael Franco, um, who didn't even make our first team. <laughs> of, uh, I mean, I would... You could throw Joey Gallo into the discussion. I, I, I don't I think would've, he would have been there. I, I was
0: going to say. I I, I I do think when you strike out at that rate and you're doing it in low A. I mean, really, it was a, a power based year. I, I probably would have said no. I don't think it reaches the threshold. But he did hit 40 homers. 40 homers is 40 homers. I right. mean, that's just hard to do.
1: And I would say that Xander Bogarts is and, and Carlos Correa are toward the back oh, Carlos, of that discussion. Carlos Correa, to me, but both absolutely. those guys, eighteen are year there.
0: old in the, in the Midwest League, who had the year he had, while also. The, to me, the stat that I love with him is, is I, fielding percentage is not the best defensive stat. But there is something to be said for leading the yeah. Midwest League shortstops in fielding percentage, making 15 errors all year as an
1: 18-year-old shortstop. That I, doesn't happen. Right. I would also say Rossell Herrera, just from a – he's not. He's in the Mookie Betts discussion where he's a good prospect not a great prospect, and he had a ridiculous year – and I would say that Asheville kind of throws these things off because I think we don't quite know what to make of just how offensive I, I, Asheville is. I'll,
0: I always love to just throw in, okay, do remember here are the dimensions at Asheville. Right. Under three hundred down the line and right. Three seventy three in center, three twenty five or so in left. That
1: is And the right field is like two ninety and it's like a it's not even like a it's not, the wall's not even like as high as like Camden Yards. Like right. if it were a Camden Wall Yards wall, it'd be one thing. But it's really not. It's like it's 15 feet maybe. It's right. As it's far if I recall correctly, I mean it's been a long time since I've rocked and rolled. It's been. A, it's also been a long time since I've been to McCormick Field. But I did used to park my car there when I graduated Asheville High. And that was the old ballpark. But they haven't. They didn't replace the field. They just replaced the you know, the dimension. The, the ballpark structure and. It wasn't a high field back uh, when I saw Baba Abreu play. And, and the reality of it is, is that
0: <laughs> there's been a long list of guys who've had great years in Nashville. Uh, you you have to have a little skepticism. I, I yes. mean, you, Joe Kashansky, Look up the year you know, that he <laughs> that had there. It was a monster year. year. Um, really, you look at last year. I mean, I, I still think he's a prospect. But uh, 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 I forget you had the big year there.
1: Oh yeah, um, Trevor Story. Trevor
0: Story. Trevor Story. He went to Modesto, which again is still not exactly. This is not going to uh, to the right. Carolina League or anything, right? You know, he went to a, a great place to uh, to hit, and he had a really uh backed up this year. His first
1: two months were outrageously bad. Will Swanners, another one,
0: good one. Who did, he did the same thing. So there's a little bit more skepticism there,
1: but at the same time, Herrera well, did if have. A, if you can't hit at Asheville, you probably should go try to be an NFL quarterback like Russell Wilson. He couldn't hit in Asheville. That's that's true. Um, but I think all those guys, I'm
0: sure I might even be leaving someone out, but those guys all cross the threshold of, okay, they're in the discussion here. And then it pretty quickly becomes interesting from the standpoint of, okay, so how do we match these guys up?
1: Yeah, it, it, it was, I, I think the main point here is it was a, a, a historically deep crop. And the two, a couple of things that stood out about this deep crop. First of all, uh, it's really hard for a pitcher to win minor league player of the year, J.J., because I think to be minor league player of the year as a pitcher, you have to first of all stay in the minor leagues all year. Which like, I'm looking back at Roy Oswalt's 2000 year again. Just had it here. Roy Oswalt was again just from just to tell you how different the era was just in 2000. And Roy Oswalt nominally still active in the major mm-hmm. leagues this year. He went 15 and 7. That's a lot of decisions. 2.21 ERA. He made 27 starts, 26 uh, 27 games, 26 appearances, 26 starts. He had 175 innings pitched, 33 to 188 walk-to-strikeout ratio. If somebody did that this year in high A and double A, we probably would name the minor league player of the year with that season. That's a pretty great season. That's a pretty great season. But also 175 innings would stick out like a sore thumb. The only people who do that anymore are Rockies pitchers. Christian Bergman, I think, had a year like that this year. But prospects like Archie Bradley didn't come close to that. Archie Bradley threw 152 innings. That's like four starts, twenty-five innings, twenty-three innings difference. Like four starts these days. So I mean, Tyler Glasnow, who, who
0: wasn't going to win the award, but Tyler Glasnow, who I don't think, if I remember correctly, was hurt at all this year. No,
1: hundred eleven innings.
0: Hundred eleven, and some of that was controlled, but a lot of that was you know, hey, you're in low A, we're going to keep you on a tight leash. He didn't qualify for. He w- he didn't qualify to be among the leaders. He, w- he ended up two thirds of an inning short. If he had, he would have led b- opponent batting average by like. 35 points.
1: So, to me, the statistically, the best season in the minor leagues was C.J. Edwards by a pitcher. For me. Um, I know you can argue Eddie Butler, and I know you can argue Archie Bradley. He only threw 116 innings, uh, which is really unbelievable um, <laughs> that he threw so few. And then, of course, he threw 10 more in the Florida State League playoffs. So, on the year, the guy threw 126 innings and gave up 77 hits. Because he gave up one in two Florida State League playoff mm-hmm. outings. So... To me, he was the best pitching season in the minor leagues, and he's kind of almost not Mookie Betts, I'll a little bit better prospect coming into the year because yeah. he was number fourteen on the Rangers list. A very but deep list. A very deep list, but uh, you know he was kind of on the fringes of and the discussion. Ta- and
0: uh, really, to me, the only two pitchers who we really talked about in this discussion were Bradley and Edwards. Yeah. Taiwan Walker had a good year, but I don't think it was good enough to really. Eddie Butler. Eddie Butler had a good year. We talked about. We did talk about Butler briefly, but really, what we came down to pretty quickly was. These are good, very good years in the minors yeah. for pitchers, but each of them had something that you could say, okay, right. You know, with Edwards, it was not enough innings and all. With with Bradley, it really was the command. I mean, it Correct. was something. If he'd have, if he'd have had the year he had, and probably you know, and you see the walks were down from what it was, then that probably would have been more of a discussion. To
1: me, the guy, the kind of season you have to have to be minor league player of the year as a pitcher, you basically have to have a Madison Bumgarner type year and not do it in low A. But Madison Bumgarner's 2008 year remains, to me, just the gold standard for a pitcher's minor league season because he went 15-3. and So even though one loss in the minors really doesn't matter, he had this gaudy win-loss record, which just tells you from a big picture standpoint that he was that dominant. Um, to me, suck it, Brian Kenny. This tells yeah. you how dominant he was. No,
0: enough. And I'll disagree with you because that means he was on a good team, too.
1: I, I don't think so. I don't think that's all it tells you, because he gave up 28 runs no, all I, year I, I in I follow, 24 games. No, I follow that, but... He gave up 20... I, I understand that. It had to be a good team for that, but he gave up 28 runs in 24 no, games. JD, no, that's a great
0: year. That's an amazing year.
1: It's beyond but that. But that
0: tells me the 28 runs in 24 games tells me that more than the wins. Correct it
1: does. Yeah. But the run the, the wins tells you a little bit of that. that. It also tells you how good his team was. Right. But, but it tells you a little bit more about than that. It's not but completely but worthless. But more than that the minor league I don't leagues. want to give that no, argument. No, but more than the
0: minor leagues, what it tells you is that he's on a team that lets him pitch to the fifth through the fifth inning. Well
1: that's part of how you have to be in this discussion at right. all. No, I, I mean it has nothing to do with the team. Tyler Glasnow wasn't. <laughs> right. No, know. You know, and that's and that's part of this I as mean, well. That's James why Tyler Glasnow's right. not in it and Bumgarner is. That's what we're talking that's kinda what we're talking about. But he also had an 8-to-1 strikeout to walk rate. So it was... 164-to-21. So that's... You have to have all the components. For me, for a pitcher to win Minor League Player of the Year, you have to have... You have to satisfy, to me, old-school <laughs> criteria and new-school criteria. He satisfied all of them. That's where I'm going. Right. That's when, why I even it, and did dude wins.
0: Right, but I disagree with you in that. I, would, I know I you would, are. I was going to
1: say, i am say, to me, if he'd have had that year...
0: And it'd have been you you ten, have it'd the chance It have been eight and two. I'd have said no difference to me.
1: Uh, I, well, I, I think that's. I think that it does not recognize the fact that we have a lot of older readers and a lot of younger readers. No. And to win minor league player of the year, to me as a pitcher, that's what I just said yeah. you have to satisfy all criteria. You have to satisfy the old ones and the new ones. And I would fight you to the death on an eight and two, an eight and two guy winning minor league player of the year, because you have to, to, to me. The minor league player of the year is the player that you look back on five to ten years from now and say that player meant that was the player who encapsulated, who was the the talk of the minor leagues that year. Mm -hmm. And someone like Will Myers, hitting 37 home runs, that was the talk of the minor leagues. That's why Jeremy Hellickson, while he was a good choice in 2010, Mike Trout would have been a better choice because he was the talk of the minor leagues that year. And that's really what we – sometimes it's it's hard to remember that. It's hard to remember that. But to me, that's what it is. It's not that – You look back five years from that was that was the best big leaguer you know from five years ago, I think that was the guy who was the talk of the minor leagues. And usually you're the talk of the minor leagues for performance. And an eight and two guy would not be the talk of the minor leagues. I I really don't think so, unless he had 300 strikeouts. Right. No, I was going to say, and and he's not going to. And that's yeah. You would have to be. It'd have to be
0: a a season where the guy was striking out you know 12, 13, you know most every
1: time out, things like that. Right, and, and to do that, you're going to pitch five, six, seven innings, and to do that, if you do that, you're going to pick up a lot of wins. It's just, 15-3 it does, does not tell you he was dominant. It's, a, it's one small sign that he was dominant. But to dismiss it completely, well, I'm <laughs> it I know you're not, but, uh, but to say an 8-2 and two guy would win minor league player of the year, I think that you would be in the minority, and I think that would be very difficult to defend to an old-school well, fan, but and we have old-school fans and new-school fans. Okay, so I, don't I, I don't devalue get it, I don't the old-school fans. But we're, we're, we're already are, there.
0: But we are there, I guess. Depends on what that 8-2 and two was. Like, let's say that you know, he left, he leaked. Cause none of that these guys, same season. But hold on. None of, these guys are, none of these guys are pitching nine innings consistently. Right. Say you're on a team, bad bullpen, and you know what? He was 8-2, and two, and seven times he left the game winning, and then the bullpen blew it for him. I can explain that very easily. But he didn't even win it that year. <laughs> no, no. I'm saying – but, yes, I'm saying that, you no. Know, to me, you have to it's, – it's hard. You, you hit the key thing. You do that in low A as a pitcher, you're probably not going to win it. Right. No, we, and we just named a guy who spent half the year in low A, spent half the year in high A. I think as a hitter, I agree with you completely. It is much easier because the reality is, is that, to me, as a pitcher, the length – these, the history of pitchers right. who have dominant seasons in low A, and it doesn't tell you nearly as much as a guy age-appropriate having a dominant season. Victor Sanchez in the Midwest League this year. Good example. Very good year. If you just look at the numbers, you may say, wow, that guy's got to be a great
1: prospect. Right. You look at the stuff. Hey, it, Madison Bungarner's rot- rotation mate in San Francisco right now says, hey, I think I had the better low-class A season over here, use Petit says. I mean, mm-hmm. he may have. It was close. Right. And and that's the thing is is that if you've got a
0: pitcher age-appropriate again, not like someone who's 25 and, you know, pitching in the Midwest League or anything, but if you've got a pitcher, Julio Urias, I, I, another example, he's 16. He's too advanced for low A hitters. I and, mean, I that's
1: would, f- and I would say a guy in his situation who's getting pulled after four and five innings will never win oh, minor I agree. league player of the year. You can't. But that's what I'm saying. That that goes to the argument. I'm, you have but, to satisfy right. the new and the old school
0: stats. You have to do it all as a pitcher. Right, but I'm just coming back to that wins can be. You can have a great year, and the wins were out of your control.
1: I understand that right. the wins, for the most part, are out of your control. I'm not debating that. But to win minor league player of the year, you have to have gaudy numbers everywhere as a pitcher. I think I'm winning this argument. Yeah, you have to have gaudy numbers in every category. I'm not trying to say wins matter, but you have to just dominate. Right. Because and it's you're, easier you're, for a hitter. Just like it, it's the same thing as MVP. How often do pitchers win MVP? Not very often. I think that we are a smaller voter base, so we and we're more on the same page than the BBWA guys are. So And we're less tied to uh, old school statistics than the uh, BBWA voters are. But for this award, uh, for a pitcher to win it, Madison Bumgarner lost out that year to Matt Wieders, and Matt Wieders was, you know, killing bears with his pinky, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Matt, ba- Matt Wieders, you know, was like telling sh- – he was showing Vladimir Putin how to pose with the shirt right. off, you know, to put it in a current context. So Matt Wieders was doing amazing things that year, but – and he was the talk of the minor leagues. So, but if Madison Bumgarner had done that at Double A, if he'd done that for two thirds of the year Double A, guess what? He'd have been in the big leagues. That's the, that's really the that's big the other part. The, of the it other part, part of it, of it it's hard is hard for a pitcher. It's hard for a pitcher because it's hard. For,
0: I don't think we've ever given it to a pitcher who did the majority of the damage in Low A. You
1: know, Petit's year was not even as good that year in 2004 as Bumgarner's. So but Madison Bumgarner just was
0: unbelievable that year.
1: But it. But the other
0: part of it is, is that as a hitter, you don't move up as quickly. Whereas the pitcher, if you're doing that, like, let's put it this way: If Jose Fernandez was a hitter, there's a very good chance he'd have started the year in double A and it's been a good bit of, you know. If that, He had would have happened,
1: at least been year like Christian Yelich and Jacob Marisnyk. Right. And
0: if he had, considering how good he was in the majors, yes. he would have put up numbers that would have put him in consideration. But he jumped straight from high A to being, you know, in the rookie of the year compared, right. you know, consideration. And Cy Young Award consideration, no doubt. No yeah, doubt. I, and, and it's something where, to me, that is true is that, I give another example, Tony Singrani, you yeah, know, who, good one, who put up some really gaudy. His his minor league numbers were pretty amazing. That guy doesn't get really a whole lot of chances to win minor league player pitcher of the year because you you move a lot quicker.
1: Yeah. So so number so that, that's where we started off on this. Yeah. With it's very hard. We just tell detailed for you how hard it is for a pitcher to win minor league player of the year. So I forgot what my other point. Was so it got me all riled up about wins. So so now let me go on the.
0: Okay, so let's, we've, we've explained the pitchers. <laughs> let's go on the hitters. Really, when it came down, at the very end, it was Springer and Buxton. Right. But let's go some of the other candidates
1: first. That was the other thing we were talking about. Yeah, because
0: go, so that was, a it was like Javier Baez, to me, the reason he ends up losing out in this, great prospect, younger than, younger than most of the guys in his leagues. The, num- the amount of home runs he hit in double-A in a half season is amazing. He made the Southern League all-star team at the end
1: of the year, right. the official team, even though he pretty much... He played 54 games there. Right. You you're usually, when a 20-year-old moves up, this is usually one of the obstacles to winning Minor League Player of the Year for a hitter, is that you... And, and, this, was, and this was an obstacle for Sano. You're a young hitter, and you're overmatching one level, and then you go up to a, a level like A AA or AAA, and you stub your toe for a little bit, and, and you struggle, and that's why you don't put up the giant numbers to win Minor League Player of the Year. That kind of happened to Sano, at least for a month mm-hmm. or so, in the Eastern League, and then he had this monster August. But it didn't happen to Baez. He actually improved his case when he moved up. His error rate went down, and he hit for more power. Um, that said, uh, Javier Baez and Miguel Sano had extremely similar seasons. And to me, that was one of the big issues for them, was separating the two. Who had the better season, Baez or Sano? That actually made it more difficult, and that was more it, those are the. That's one of the things that separated Springer and Buxton from the group was how unique their seasons were. Well, it,
0: to me also, with with Baez, defense does matter somewhat. And while he has, he's made strides in that it's less of a slam dunk right. than it was when he was coming out of the draft. That this guy can't play shortstop. Forty one errors this year, I think, was the uh, final number. I believe that's the, that's the case. It was a lot in the Florida State League. It was like thirty. Uh, Thirty-one, I think, <laughs> in the maybe and thirty-one, then, and then I think you know, but something like that. I don't you know? Someone can cite, Don't quote us. Don't quote us because we're not doing that. We're not looking it up while we do this on this podcast. But um, a ton of errors, right? And really, and an aggressive approach that led to a whole lot of power. But it, it wasn't something that he was hitting three thirty to go with it. It was yeah. There, and he
1: also had like a hundred more strikeouts than walks and. He, that 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 ratio, the yeah, fact that, that he had a very pedestrian 340 on base percentage, to me made him a little bit less of a candidate than Sano. I thought Sano had a better candidacy. Right. Also, Sano, mm. to, you know, the Eastern League is a little less offensive than the Southern League, not by a ton, but a little bit less. But to me,
0: the problem with Sano was, is you want to talk about difficulty separating out Sano and Michael Franco. Right. I mean, because when you look at those two then you're really talking about something where it's like two guys who played in the exact same leagues
1: same moved position.
0: Up at, uh, playing the same position who moved up at almost the same time. You throw all those things together, and, and the reality is is that Sano was better in the Florida State League. You could argue that Franco may have been a little bit better in the, uh, in the Eastern League. Both of them had very solid cases, and again, in a different year, I think either of them would have been, you know, had a
1: chance. Those were both minor league player of the year caliber seasons. Um, for sure. Um, would we say anybody uh, – you know, to me, Carlos Carlos Correa, as great of a year as he had, you know, he wound up not even making our minor league – all minor league team because – No, he did. Ro- he, he, was d-
0: he, d- he was the DH, uh, wasn't he? I
1: don't think so. No, nope. Joey, Joey Gallo is our second team DH. Right. And we put, we had Rosal Herrera as a second team shortstop. Okay. Because Herrera had a monstrous year. Yeah. I mean, it was th- – again, this is just – we're talking about the depth. Um, oh, yeah. It's, it, it was a deep year. And when it came to the second team, I think Matt Eddy, you know, who really kind of runs the, yeah. he sp- he really just thought that Herrera's season was more impressive from a performance standpoint, less impressive from a prospect standpoint, and it's debatable. It's certainly debatable. Um, he went he went with Herrera, um, and then until so JJ really got down to Bucks to and Springer, that was
0: where that's where we probably spent. If you said, again, explaining our process, we probably spent. Altogether, about I'd say four or five hours discussing this uh, as a staff.
1: That's I probably say fair. My, I, I would, yeah.
0: I would say that eighty percent of that discussion was Buxton and Springer.
1: Yeah, it was not. There was no, uh, in no way, was that an easy discussion or an easy and choice. I, I, and I think, I think, when we started the discussion,
0: Springer was leading. When we were, because we start talking about this about a month out.
1: Yeah, we could go find the emails. And th- he was Springer in the lead. was leading and really a
0: couple of things happened over the kind of final month. For one, Byron Buxton had a monster final month of the season where he posted a uh, a 500 uh, plus on-base percentage that right. year that, right. that month. At the same time, George Springer, who was kind of making that run at 40-40, he's making that run, he's making that run and then kind of tailed off uh, tailed off a little bit at the end.
1: Yeah. It was impossible for him to maintain that pace. And this is the fact that he had eight games in a row without a home run. But it does look a little bit more impressive. And this happened to Will Myers last year, too, remember. He led the minor leagues in home runs all year, all year, and then somebody caught him at the end. Do you remember who caught him at the end last year? Because I don't. But somebody caught him right at the end of the season. and either I think, I think even passed him for the minor league home run ye- lead. And that did not happen. Uh, and that, that, that same thing happened this year. To, uh, to, Springer, to George Springer, Joey Gallo,
0: mon- you know. <laughs> Joey Gallo just,
1: you know, Joey Gallo, Joey Gallo, who's on the cover of the latest issue of Baseball America, just had just this monster fit. Darren Ruff, Darren
0: Ruff, who had the monster month of all monster months.
1: <laughs> I forgot. I knew it was somebody. I knew. It was Darren somebody. Ruff
0: had the month. I mean, there's no such thing as a monster month more than what Darren Ruff yeah, did Darren in August Ruff, of last year. Darren
1: Ruff chuckles at my at me calling uh, Joey Gallo's August a monster month because the guy hit 20 home runs in one month. I mean, so he, he so went
0: from he went from being like
1: not on the first page of home run leaders to, right.
0: lead, to leading the minors.
1: But the bigger thing, really, for me, wasn't that he didn't lead the minor <laughs> leagues in home runs; that he just didn't adjust and kept on. And that's what we kept getting from scouts, and it's detailed in Josh Norris's story at BaseballAmerica.com, .dot uh, com, his first feature for BaseballAmerica.com. .dot com that doesn't involve video. Um, but it's that George Springer. Is going to be Don't George Springer, he and he's going to strike out, and it, uh, it's almost like a Mark Reynolds it, <laughs> stubbornness in some and, ways. And I, I we I, we we threw it out there basically to
0: I, I I emailed probably you know ten people in the game and said hey, so what do you think about Springer? You know this was as we kind of got into this discussion and all, and got back a lot of answers. Almost no one said. This guy doesn't, is not going to be a solid big leaguer. Almost right. everyone thought this guy going to be at least a solid big leaguer with a chance to be better than that.
1: We, didn't, we don't have anyone here comparing him to Melky Mesa. No, you know. no, 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 no. <laughs> that, that, that's not happening. That being said,
0: we had a whole lot of people also saying, you know, the strikeouts worry me, and I do think that it's going to limit what he can do down the road unless he makes some significant adjustments. Adjustments he, maybe because he hasn't needed to yet. He hit 300 in the PCL with pretty much an approach that from all the scouts we talked to, it's a very inside-oriented approach. It's something where if I get a ball on the inside, you know, half, right, I'm going to yank it and probably hit a homer with it. And if you throw me a good strike on the out, you know, you, if you paint the, the black on the outside,
1: I'm probably going to strike out. Yeah, I mean, that's... The comparisons on this power speed list, this chart that Matt Eddy did, top power speed performance since 2004 with each player's strikeout percentage per plate appearance. The comps on this are not encouraging for George Springer. It's guys like Grant Desby. Oh, yeah, You can't judge Grant Desby. Yeah, because we don't know. He'll, ju- he'll be the one doing yeah. the judging here. <laughs> um, Terry Evans, Justin Maxwell, Greg Hallman, again, can't be judged. Charlton Jimerson, Nelson Cruz, Chris Young, Delman Young, Dan Carroll. I mean, that is just not an encouraging list. And that it's is a basically lot of guys the best power speed guys as far as putting and, up. In the last nine full minor league seasons, I guess 10, counting this 2004 season, 2013, 10 seasons, very nice comp list. And that's just not encouraging. And that does not mean this is a pretty
0: unique skill set. Right. So it doesn't mean. It's a desirable skill right. set. Right. So desir- and it does not mean, oh, okay, you know, well. Clearly he's he's doomed now or anything like that. What it does mean though is just that it's hard to say that the unique skills of hitting hitting a ton of home runs with a ton of steals in a minor league season destined you in any way for future greatness because Delmon Young and Chris Young and uh, I guess. Not, Nelson, Nelson Cruz, is Nelson the best Cruz guy here. showing up on there is the part they're like, wait, wait, wait. Nelson Cruz. Yeah, is I know. Because when I think power-speed combos, I, I think Nelson Cruz.
1: He had 24 stolen bases and hit 37 home runs in one year. That's pretty good. I mean, but, but yeah, it, it's it, I, the, the whole. The upshot of all this is that, first of all, his year is, uh, to me came out as a little bit less unique. Number two, is that the strikeouts are a real concern, and, and that when you're evaluating the whole player. This isn't just the prospect, this is about the season. How sustainable is that? What he did was pretty impressive. So he's in this conversation. It's a very unique elite conversation. So you're having to split hairs. The other thing that, to me, dinged his candidacy a bit is that, yes, he, the, his biggest advantage to me over Buxton is the home runs. Mm-hmm. His second biggest advantage that he did it at AA and AAA. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he did it in AA and AAA in very offensive environments is what dings him down a little bit. And I, had a, I thought I had a very interesting comment, which obviously was from a nom de plume or nom de keyboard of Byron from center field, but it was in the chat, and it says um, by wins, rud cr- uh, weighted runs created plus, which I guess is, a, is that a fangraph statistic? Yeah, I, I think so. it is. Measures all batting value and adjusts for park and league. Springer was 174 in AA and 175 in AAA. Buxton was 176 in low A and 155 in high A considering that Buxton is a better defender and is more age-advanced, I don't get these people's beef. Um, that, that, that To me, that b- boils it down to, without needing the advanced statistics, the advanced metrics, I just know, I think it was a little bit harder for Byron Buxton to do what he did in the Midwest League and Florida State League, which we know are not offensive environments, than it was for George Springer to do what he did in the Texas League and the PCL. To, to me, the big
0: part, if you, you said what well, was probably factor two for me, was, I, there's such a big difference in age here.
1: Right, that's another he, big one. Springer Four did years.
0: it. Springer did it at a higher level. Springer also did it at 23. He's in his second full year out of the draft. Degree of difficulty coming out of college. Buxton is doing it at the year where Springer was a freshman in college. Right. He's one. He's essentially one year behind Springer because I, I think saying that you know that Buxton next year is going to spend the year in Double A and probably some time in Triple A and and maybe beyond, right. is not going crazy in any way, shape, or form. Correct. He's a year behind, and he put up numbers that were right there, like where you can compare them and you can say – I mean, because, look, you can compare them in, in a lot of different ways, and the power for the for Springer, the 37 homers, is important. At the same time, what Buxton did as far as – he was a leadoff hitter most of the year. No one was – I mean, he was an insane leadoff hitter, getting on base, stealing – you know, still on bases, showing power, he led the right. miners in tri- and led the miners in triples. I like the he's a better defensively. I, I think really right now it's like if you said who's the best best defensive center fielder in the miners, if it's not him, I, I would love to know who it is.
1: Yeah, I mean he's just a spectacular talent, and um, so uh, George Springer is as well. He's a spectacular talent who had a spectacular season. Um, so for me, the more we dug into the Springer data. The more we backed off Springer, and mm-hmm. it was, but it was close. And it like was very said, close. I think that, I think it is important to note. I didn't even say this in the chat yesterday, but when we started, the email chain was we started with, yeah, it's George Springer, and then the more we dug, the more we backed off that. And that's you know that w- <laughs> that doesn't that's not usually how it goes. Usually, when we dig a little bit more, our first instinct I think is usually correct. And in this case, we we didn't think our first instinct was correct. Well, we we
0: we really. As we went into it, we knew coming into it, like, <laughs> you can't find a scout. It, I, let's talk about Buxton a little bit here. Yeah,
1: because you can't find a scout who says anything really negative about him.
0: I, I got a guy who's like, I, I may use this quote in the Midwest League Top 20, but I'm going to give you, I'll give you a sneak peek, podcast listeners. Because you probably already know this. And uh, we can give you two sneak peeks. Two sneak peeks. Byron Buxton is going to be number one in the Midwest League. John, and you're doing the Florida State League.
1: And Byron Buckson's is going to be number one in the Florida State League.
0: I don't think we've given you any great. You're only
1: getting 38 <laughs> prospects in those two <laughs> leagues as opposed to 40. Sorry.
0: Yeah, you, you, know, you know two of them now. But um, I got a guy who said, well,
1: I guess if you're really nitpicking, he doesn't switch hit. It'd be nice if he did. <laughs> right. But that's it. I mean, I I seriously was – I've been trying in all these Florida State League calls after the first couple, which were just like, oh, oh, Byron Buxton. Um, Since then, I've really been trying to bear down on negatives, and I can't get any from anybody. And I got one yesterday. I asked the manager, just straight up asked him, give me something negative. And he he thought about it for, you know, 15, 20 seconds. I mean, the phone was quiet, you know. It was like a Kevin Towers, Dan Duquette (laughs) trade call. (laughs) It was just quiet, and – And then he says, you know, I can't come up with one. In fact, what I'm thinking of is where he laid down a bunt and beat it out the first by, I thought, a good half step. And the umpire called him out, and he whirled around for a second like he was going to confront the umpire. But then he saw his manager coming out, and I interjected, his manager can do the talking for everybody on the field, that being Doug Mankiewicz, who was my spokesman at the 2000 Olympics. Go-to quote of all time, go-to quotes. And he said, well, that's for sure. But he said, but as soon as he saw Minkiewicz coming out, he put his head down and jogged into the dugout. And that level of maturity and is something else that stands out. The way he plays the game, JJ, stands out to the opposing managers as much as um, what he does on the field. And in, in the Florida State League, there were two of these guys we just talked about, Sano and Baez, where the way they play the game rubs some people the wrong way. And the way that his manager managed the game, rubbed some people the wrong way, and the way Jorge Soler played the game. You know, there was a lot of that in the Florida State League this year. And Bucks did sit out again for that. So we're kinda of making I, him sound like Saint Byron here and but he's not but I mean but it really is difficult I, to find the negative. I, I the best way I can put it though is is that and I'm not saying
0: that he is the best prospect of the time I've been I've been you know, I'm in year eleven, you're now you're 17. seventeen. But of that time, I'm not saying he's going to end up being the best player who's come through during that time. I'm not. I, to say that anyone is going, Mike Trout's only basically in year, finishing up year two right, right now. But to say that anyone is going to top what Mike Trout has done is really hard for me to project. I Really, I, I guess Albert Pujols fits yep. is all in your era, and 99% of it's in I mine. was just
1: thinking, Albert Pujols' total of career is the best player who was a minor leaguer when I came to Baseball America and has had this massive major league career. But
0: I'm not saying he's gonna match that. That being said, I can't and I'll challenge you with the same question. I can't think of a prospect coming through the minors who I who scouts were more unanimous about just how confident they are in this player.
1: Yeah, Trout is the only one who approaches it. I remember doing that futures league prep in twenty ten. And when we started getting the Erlocker comps on Trout, <laughs> that's the one where like, people were just shocked by, his, improve, by his, his hitting ability. And then the fact that I was a little bit prepared for it with Trout because we had done that spring draft coverage in 2009 where Nathan Rohde, which is all about Trout, scouts up there love him, but they can't evaluate him because he's not hitting. The other guy who was sort of in that category to an extent – was Hayward because there was that tantalizing again the physicality was such a standout. And he also, and he advanced, also hit. advanced hitting ability, advanced just the fact that he took pitches. He could he had advanced, I, but but there also was a little bit of like oh I didn't get to see him he was hurt but I've heard all these great stories so there was a little bit of that and then also the the tale of the guy who fell to the 14th round there was a little bit of that with Trout as well. Buxton doesn't even have that because he was the second overall pick he was the top high school hitter. You know like I linked yesterday in the chat to our first top 100 of the year and he was number three on that list it was Appel Giolito before he got hurt Buxton so Buxton's been under this microscope for all that time um, and has lived up to but, all that but to put it this way
0: like okay trying to rewind because I guess I would, throw even that, Harper, I, would, I would throw Matt Wieders coming out Matt Wieders was another guy like that t- minor when league season was when so was, good when he was done with that minor league season Yeah, but even then there were scouts who were like you know I think his hitting approach is good but I don't know if it's great
1: and then there were other people who were saying, you know, he is still 6'6". Right. I don't know if he's going to – always going to have right. some
0: holes. He's gonna, right. You had that. Okay. So that, to me, there were knocks there. Right. Bryce Harper, the knocks were – there were guys who were like, I, I think his – you know, it, it's great power. I don't know. There, you could find guys who said, I think he's going to be a 260, 40 home run guy. Right.
1: Absolutely. Jim Callis always – and that's, you know, to Jim's credit, he always had Trout ahead of Harper because of the hit grade. And so far, that has certainly proven true. Right. So you had that.
0: Trout – I think was the closest thing I can think of. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to go back further, but Trout was the closest. But even with Trout, because because of how he he, how quickly you know how he moved
1: in the Midwest League, in the Midwest League, guys really liked him. Josh Beckett, I will say, from a pitcher standpoint, I think Josh Beckett was the way that scouts want their number one starter to be because the hellacious fastball, the hellacious curveball, and the hellacious. Get out of the box. You know, just, the, just the, his his mound demeanor when he was at his best, which I think we all saw in those two World Series. He helped carry those two teams to Boston and and Florida. Um, that I would say Beckett had that same level of anticipation. And where the only nitpick on him at the time was, well, you know, he's not quite durable enough. He doesn't, you know, those kind of things. But it was you I, had to really. And nitpick. I'll go back.
0: I'll go back. You know, to deep in my archives, but. I, I, I saw Dan. Andrew. I saw Chipper oh, Okay. Uh, Chipper's before. Okay. I, Chipper Jones I didn't get to watch on a daily yeah. basis. But Andrew Jones, I saw him come every day through his first of two minor league player of the year seasons. Amazing prospect. That being said, again, at the time, doesn't run. You know, you'd like to see a little more. He's you know, great right. in the center, but at times he wouldn't run a ball out to first that you wanted to see. Uh, had a hole in his swing because basically he was vulnerable, he was Hey, he's 17, just turned 18. He'll close it up, but right now you can get him out sliders on the outside. Right. He never closed that hole. It went on uh-huh. for the next uh, C. Springer,
1: comma George.
0: But <laughs> you you have that with Buxton. You have every scout you ask like, man, his hitting approach, the power. I think if you if you again if you're getting a knock for him, it's like he might only be a 20-25 home run hitter, not a 40. That's the biggest knock,
1: and especially in comparison to Trout, is that he does not have. Mike Trout's power potential. That said, people didn't think Mike Trout had Mike Trout's power potential when he was in a ball. And I still have guys telling me who've saw, who've seen both that Buxton has fewer holes in his swing than Trout has better hit ability. If Trout's not an eight hitter, I don't know what is. So what's Buxton going to hit? Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> it's really hard to that, it, again
0: because what's interesting is is that. I, it, to me, Hayward is a cautionary tale. I feel like watching Hayward now, Jason Hayward now, that Jason Hayward, whether it's that David pitchers made adjustments to him and he had trouble making adjustments or because of his swing or whatever, but Jason Hayward to me was a better hitter
1: mm-hmm.
0: coming into his rookie season than he is now. I
1: think that's fair to say. I now, to I, he's say.
0: probably got more power now. But I remember me and you watching in spring training and going, just this approach is really more advanced than the average rookie.
1: He just never seemed like he swung at bad pitches. And as that's a really the young thing. Player.
0: And that's Buxton. Buxton, right. you know, again, is, the, the, right. the final month of Buxton's season in, in in August was pretty much Florida State League pitchers deciding we're not going to give you much, and Buxton's saying that's fine. I'll, I'll I'll get on base one out of every two times. And right. by the way, you don't want me on base because. I'm also the fastest guy in this league.
1: I mean, he like I think that Phil Miller's org report this issue says that he has a six-tool disruption, and that's a great description of it. That he really is as disruptive a force. So, uh, I think George Springer had a fantastic year. JJ, I think Javier Baez and Miguel Sano and Archie Bradley and C.J. Edwards had outstanding years. Uh, Carlos Correa, Rosal Herrera, I think a lot. Michael Franco. We had a generous portion. It was a great candidates. year of the minors. It really was. It was a great year in the minor leagues. And locally here, we just wrapped up our last home game with Durham playing, uh, winning its second game. Where is
0: the A championship this year? A
1: championship, championship is in Lehigh Valley. Uh, the IL championship moves on to Pawtucket now. That series is tied to one. So I, w- I took in the last home game last night. Fun just to go as a fan. Uh, Matt Eddy there is a fan. Former BAer uh, Will there there is a fan. So he got the, he got a little reunion with one of his old favorite players, uh, Mark Hamilton, the uh, of Tulane, who's apparently growing his hair to try to make up for Will's for Will's hair. but uh, So kudos to Mark Hamilton for doing that, uh, seeing as how Kimmy was one of his favorites. but uh, Or he was one of Kimmy's favorites. But uh, it was a great year in the minor leagues. And uh, we do have a couple Twitter questions we'll get to about that. Um, Japers, long time, not first time. First, definitely not first time, but definitely long time asks, uh, assuming it doesn't get overmatched at higher levels next season, could you envision Buxton getting a September call-up I would answer I could see him getting a call-up before September. Oh I could I see him th- earning it. And the the Twins, I, I think, are extremely ready to turn the page as a franchise to the Sano-Buxton chapter or the Buxton-Sano chapter. And that chapter can't get here soon enough for most Minnesota fans. I think it can't get here soon enough for the Twins. And you know, Ron Gardenhire, I think his, his contract is at, uh, ends at the end of this year as well. You could see a lot of changes in Minnesota, and why not? They have been very bad at the major league level for three straight years, and it's bad and not exciting. You know? it's, a,
0: it's, a, it's a boring brand of bad, which that's, that's, that's bad too. Like, yeah. I, it, and boring bad that, is bad. There's
1: no, who is the young player in the big league team right now that you're going to build around? I guess on the big league roster right now, it's kind of Oswaldo Arcia. You hoped it would be Aaron Hicks. But he had a brutal first half, and, and, and that and they rushed him. So the fact that the fact that, that Hicks struggled so much in the first half, and then struggles as being sent back down, might temper the Twins. But, but Buxton's hit tool so much more. Well I was gonna say you could say they rushed Hicks. In some ways they didn't, though Hicks Hicks has had four years in the minors. Well, they didn't rush him, and then they did. That's the weird right. part. They made him repeat slow, low, a. slow, 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 fast. That was the weird part is that he jumped over triple-A. Um, from Double-A, and part of that is that they didn't have any other center fielders. They They, traded two of them.
0: They looked at Darren Mastrani and they went, okay, we... we Well, he got hurt. I think Mastro
1: would have been the perfect fill-in this year, and then he hurt his ankle.
0: And then they went, okay, we don't have any other choices, so then...
1: Right, their choice was Cleet Thomas or Aaron Hicks, and they they chose Aaron Hicks. And and uh, as the guy in uh, Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade says, they chose poorly. Well,
0: I I do think, yeah, I, I think that Buxton... You send him a Double A to start the year, and he, but you ex- you kind of have in the back of your head you have the plan. It's going to spend most of the year here. We'll promote yeah. him to Triple A, and in 2000 and even with that, I think you so say you 2015 say publicly. He, you say that. Yeah, you know, but in the back of your head, you say, okay, if he does the same thing this upcoming year that he did this year, I don't think their plan. They did not write down at the start of the year Byron Buxton a half year in the Midwest League. Yeah, that's not how the Twins do things. That being said, like I got to see him in June, and you're watching him, and you say, like, they, you, the, the cliche is, a guy will tell you when he's ready to move up. And I came back, and I said, yeah, I've never seen a guy tell you more that That's he's right. ready to move up, because everything you saw was like, these pitchers, it was almost like, okay, well, he, and he was fear-bearing down. It wasn't like he was taking it lackadaisically or anything, but they could not challenge him. Like, now, Lance McCullers could. Lance McCullers could go up there and go, I've got two plus-plus pitches. What can you do? And he struck out Buxton a couple times. Right. You're not seeing Lance McCullers on an average night. On an average night, there was just not much that they could challenge him in that league. They had to move him up. I think he goes to double-A, and if he has a half, first-half season in double-A like he did this year, then you start, at that point, you really start thinking, okay, so when does he arrive? Because, again, we've heard the, we've heard the argument of many time and time again, a lot of guys don't need a whole lot of Triple A time, right? Especially, you know.
1: Especially today, I mean, if you can, and we saw a lot of guys jump from Double A to the big league this year, and, and and make that jump pretty well, and and this guy's hitting ability is advanced <laughs> if enough for him. If he to was promote. a Marlin. Uh, yeah, I think he would have been in the this year. We could
0: look at Opening Day 2014 and say, oh, he's your center fielder.
1: Yeah, so I mean, the only way to me that he's not up before September is a he stumbles, which I don't think is likely, gets or hurt. b yeah b gets hurt, or c that Aaron Hicks rediscover something that he lost this year. Uh, well, I think
0: if that happens, even if Bucks isn't doing what he's okay, Aaron Hicks, well, I'm just you're a that right fielder.
1: I'm just saying that they, could, they, they, would, they would try to right. pause things, especially from a financial standpoint or from a tempering expectation. Because if they're losing next year, I think it's easier to call them up. But if they're in it, and Aaron Hicks is one of the reasons they're in it, why rock that boat? So I don't, I don't see yeah. that happening. Yeah. I think the main way that Aaron Hicks would help them in the major leagues be in it is if he were pitching. So, <laughs> um, as Speaking of McCullers, funny you say that because Lex the Pex asks uh, Alex Sandoval, where should Lance McCullers Jr. start next season and should top pitching prospects skip Lancaster? So those are two questions. I personally think it would help him to go to Lancaster. You're going to pitch in offensive environments in the major leagues. Maybe not, maybe not the, uh, not the, the, the freak
0: show that is Lancaster. Lancaster is it's a freak show. It's a freak show because Lancaster, it depends on the day. You can have days at Lancaster where it's just an offensive ballpark. And you can have days where you know, okay, if they hit the ball in the air, it's out.
1: Right. And right. that's the insane and, part of and it. And not an out. It's out as in a home run. Right.
0: I mean, it's like, okay, it's... Again, they've had games like okay, we had to delay. We got blowing rocks here, you know. I mean, because forty-five. <laughs> oh, the sorry, right. but but <laughs> Lancaster has had games delayed for wind
1: because right. it's been so windy. Um, but I loved back when he was a minor league back when he was a nobody, but Dirk Hayhurst. When first of all his hair was really long, and second of all he just showed the wind in Lancaster. It was really mind blowing just to you see it on video. You put your cap
0: up and it just disappears.
1: Yeah, it was forty mile an hour gusts. And like, uh, I don't
0: even know if it was gust. It was more like 40-mile-an-hour straight-line wins. Right, mean, it was like, right. But I, I do think, I think that you probably put him on the plan, much like uh, uh, what the Diamondbacks did with Archie Bradley this year. You send him there, and you're really hoping, if he, has, if he shows you any success at all, right. that you can move him on and move him out of there and get him out of the insanity that is that place. But you have to you have to sit down with anyone going to Lancaster and, and basically explain, like, look, what we're focused on here is res- not results from the standpoint of we don't – much less of are you, you know, 5-2 and two with a 2.5 ERA. Right. What we're focused on, are you making good pitches? There's nowhere
1: you, more process-oriented than Lancaster. If you're making
0: good pitches, if you're hitting your spots, if you're improving your changeup, because to me <laughs> – that is task one, two, three, four, and 5 for right. Lance McCullers. If you, really, if you're Lance McCullers, if you don't want to end up as a reliever, it doesn't have to be great. His two, his two main pitches are so good that it doesn't have to be great. Right. But it has to be a lot better than what it was this year.
1: It has to be playable. I mean, we just saw it, uh, speaking of the Astros, we just saw it with Carlos Rodon in July uh, against Cuba. His changeup was really good that night. It was probably a major league average changeup. But when the fastball is a 7-8, and the slider's a 7 slash 8. The changeup ain't got to be more than a 5. If it's a and 5,
0: you're, you're a dominating pitcher. And
1: that's, you know, McCullers isn't at that level. But McCullers no, has they, his nights where he's got like 7 fastball, 7 breaking ball. Maybe, absolutely. He's pu- maybe he's pushing an 8 with the fastball. So he's got two premium pitches. But so the changeup does not have to right be. But right now? Right. Right now it's like a 3. <laughs> a, I'd
0: say 2. Okay. I yeah. mean, I, I, the, the night, okay, again, not, I'm not a scout. night I saw it, and I was talking to scouts who were there, so I'm getting yeah. this. It's not just my personal observation. First four of them I saw. You had we were talking about it, you know, in kind of the scout section. It was like, I guess that's a change-up. Yeah, exactly. It was that bad. It was a BP fastball. Like right. there was no, there was nothing about it. It was there was not enough separation. There was it was straight. There was no tum, late tumble or anything. Right. There was no real deception to it. There was no part of it that made you. If
1: you wanted to say you could
0: project it as a 3-4. And let's
1: not forget, one thing that I think is important to remember with Lance McCullers is this was the second year of him as a starting Mm -hmm. pitcher. He did not start in high school baseball. Even on the showcase circuit, he didn't pitch more than one or two innings at a time until his senior year in high school. If he did, it was rare. But he really just started to quote-unquote pitch in 2012 as a senior in high school. And so this year, the fact that I, I think his year is one of the more encouraging years in that or, uh, in an organization that was full of encouraging seasons. The fact that he showed some pitchability this year, gave up only three home runs, uh, the walk rate at 4.2 is better than Archie Bradley's at a similar stage. And Archie Bradley had a lot more experience as a pitcher than Lance McCullers has at a similar stage. I, I think it's a very encouraging season. And I think you nothing will drive home... Pitchability more than Lancaster, so I, I think it would behoove them to send him there, and I, I think it's worthwhile to send a pitcher there. It's not worthwhile to send one there to suffer, but it is worthwhile to send one there to learn you to you survive.
0: You, I think part of it though is you got to know also the makeup. Good, uh, good to, point. To put it to put it this way, what we learned one of the things we learned from Lancaster Daniel Bard did not have the makeup to survive Lancaster.
1: He's exposed. I mean, he was really, a sitting duck.
0: I mean, and but there are guys who do. You can keep your head down. Basically, this is gonna this is gonna be terrible in some ways, but I can make it through it, and I can be stronger for it. Right. I do think McCullers, from a little bit that I know from talking, you know, has that kind of bullheaded mentality where I think he can probably make it through that. Um, to, to I mean, again, win the Midwest League. He's a McCullers. That, that, McCullers that a top. staff, that staff had McCullers, had Vince Velasquez, had Mark Appel late in the year. That's why I put it. Again, talking to a lot of scouts doing my Midwest League calls. Mark Appell, there's a lot of caveats to this. Yeah, he was coming off a long layoff because basically Stanford was done in mid-May, you know, all you know, he was so he's a little rusty. He was at the end of a long, long year because he started earlier than all these guys. and All right. that. That being said, the guys who saw both of them in the Midwest League, again, I'm not saying that means that Lance McCullers is a better prospect, but McCullers was better in that league, the two of them together than. In the
1: and the other, this is a good, uh, maybe probably a way to, to wrap up the hour-long podcast. But um, I didn't have Jonathan Gray come through my league, but in the Florida State League, but I did have Chris Bryant. And the top three consensus prospects in the 2013 draft, JJ, were Gray, Appel, Bryant in some order. Mm-hmm. I believe that's the order we wrapped up with was mm-hmm. Gray, Appel, Bryant on the BA 500. And Jonathan Gray just had a BAFO debut. Mm-hmm. I mean, 37 innings. Uh, He's, he's already eight, he's
0: already survived the uh the California League.
1: 8 walks, 51 strikeouts. He first of all he went to the Pioneer League, which is as offensive as anywhere, probably one of the most offensive leagues in the minor leagues, uh with Grand Junction. But then he made five starts for Modesto, uh gray pitcher in Modesto, and he was outstanding in Modesto. Uh only 3 runs in 24 innings, 6 6 to 36 walk to strikeout ratio. And Chris was touching Br- and, w- and, not only and was that hitting was 100 miles an hour every time. Right. I mean, shorter. So you go from seven days cycle to a five day cycle, didn't affect Jonathan. Oh, Griggs. okay. I'll just throw 100 anyway. The velo, the velo was there. Maybe he didn't have the attention span to figure out that it was five days instead of seven. But that's a that's a small little joke there. We'll just forget that joke. But but Chris Bryant goes to the Florida State League, and I've every time I've talked to someone about Daytona, it's like, oh man, Chris Bryant was legit. And I mean, he yes. Daytona had Javier Baez and Jorge Soler putting on massive laser shows in the first half of the year. Chris Bryant fit right in with those guys, right in there in terms of power. People were even impressed with him at third base, helped Daytona win a Florida State League championship. We don't hear that same kind of raves for Mark Pell. And, hey, Jonathan Gray was done about a week after Mark Pell. Chris Bryant was done a week after Mark Pell. Right,
0: right, no, no. The we just don't the hear the same raves the about Marco Pell that the we heard what about Brian Bryant. What I'm getting when the Midwest League from Scouts went ask, and I'm not bringing up He doesn't qualify in that league. But unsolicited, you get, you know what did surprise me? Mark Pell, I was expecting more. And, right. it, and they always follow it up with. I'm not saying he's not good. Right. But they're really what it's it a com- snapshot what, As a snapshot, they throw the caveats in there. But they say, you know what, though? The best way to put it is, is that you expect to get wow.
1: Yeah, when you're a pro guy, when you're there doing pro coverage, you didn't see Mark Appel during the year, but not like you don't know about him.
0: You, you, know, know, you know
1: he went 1-1. You know who went 1-1, and when you see 1-1, you come in expecting to see something. That's where the, that's where people go in there, and you hear that about Tim Beckham, and you heard about it for five years, like, oh, I was expecting this because he went 1-1. And then you watch him. And it's just not. He doesn't wow you. Is he bad player? No. But he doesn't wow you. Mark Appel. are we saying he's going to be bad? No. It was just a snapshot. But he didn't serves. wow people. The, the
0: velocity. It was not the velocity.
1: Right. It was.
0: It was not velocity. It was a lot of times the slider was not as good as it usually was when it was at Stanford.
1: As it was reputed to be.
0: Right. The body is not as good as, as they were expecting to see. Um, right. The... Know, and really just – and the pitchability wasn't – they were expecting to see – they expected to see a guy who was basically at a graduate level facing, uh, you know, 101 level, uh, yeah. you know, English 101 uh, students. And they, instead, they saw a guy who seemed to be at the level of the guys he was facing, not ahead of them. Whereas, again, what we were hearing with Chris Bryant, with Jonathan Gray, is that you had guys who stepped in and, fe- and felt like that they were ahead of the level of what they were facing.
1: That's a great way to put it, and uh, JJ, we, we we could talk American League uh, uh, wild card race, but I think that would take a whole other podcast. So I, I
0: think so. I think we did an hour on this, and I, I, as we always do, it's like, man, we could do two, but we're gonna stay. Yeah, well, now. we
1: could have we kind of kept talking about the win, but uh, mm-hmm. that thank goodness that didn't that didn't happen. You get enough of that on the on MLB now, which is uh, we're still friends of the, of theirs because uh, they advertise in every print edition of the magazine. But uh, hope you enjoyed the podcast. Obviously, if you ever have questions for the podcast, you can send those into podcast at You can tweet at either one of us. I'm at John Manuel BA. He's at JJ Coop 36. And of course, if you have other further questions or you want further questions explored, you can send those into AskBA at JJ Cooper now handling the reins at AskBA. For JJ, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. After the end of a good fight,